Welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Rolling Stone executive editor Nathan Brackett. Today we're going to debunk some of rock's greatest urban myths. But first, we're going to talk about what we're listening to around the office. was a little bit of Real Love Baby by Father John Misty, a.k.a. Josh Tillman. I'm here with John Dolan, Record Reviews Editor. Hey, John. Hey, Nathan. You uh, brought this song to my attention. I guess it's been bouncing around SoundCloud for a little while, but now it's on YouTube and more people are hearing it. And I love this Father yeah, John Misty yeah, song. Yeah, I think he put it out back in the spring, but now it's kind of been officially released. And it's, I think, is the first song we've really heard since his great record of last year. I Love um, You, Honey Bear. I Love You, Honey Bear, which was very much in the kind of like Harry Nielsen, Randy Newman, dark comic irony, kind of like almost a sensitive singer-songwriter record where the guy was sometimes not so sensitive. But what I like about this is it's just pretty wide open and pretty airy and pretty genuinely sweet. There's no sort of sense of like a cutting barb. There's no, I mean, he got accused of sort of some misogyny on the last record. This one is, is very sweet and very bright and kind of a nice early 70s folk pop tune that yeah. you can't miss. I mean, I feel the same way. There are, there are a lot of brutally honest, pretty dark songs on the on I Love You, Honey Bear, which I really liked. But yeah, it definitely the, you know, the world was falling apart, mm. but we're together, and you know, uh, but it's an imperfect relationship. But and this one is maybe he's in a different place in his life, but it's just a very sweet song. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so uh, good for Josh Tillman. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if this helps his next record. Maybe not. But this one, this is a very I'm loving the song, and it's called again. Uh, Real love baby. Real love baby. John, you also turned me on to this rapper named No Name. From Chicago. Can you tell me a little bit about her? Yes, 24-year-old rapper, poet named Fatima Warner out of Chicago from the same kind of scene um, as, as the, the kind of come really coalesced around Chance the Rapper. She's been on both of Chance the Rapper's albums. and um, Chance the Rapper has a serious... He's got a huge scene out yeah. there. There's so many people, our people he's working with. Yeah, it, it sounds like just like the most fun place in the world. He's yeah. been great about being a conduit for new artists, and it really reflects this kind of new realist but optimistic Chicago sound that's come out in, in R&B and hip-hop, and it, it's very obviously of the moment and very timely. And this record, it just she just put out a mixtape called Telephone, which is just really recalls the sort of like, it's got a 90s vibe. It recalls the early Erica Badu, maybe recalls Diggable Planets, that kind of warm, late summer out on the stoop, conversational. The music is kind of light, psychedelic R&B a little bit. And it really kind of sticks out, too. I mean, like, especially in this age of, like, you know, we're in this age of, like, trap music and Atlanta music is, like, ascendant, and there's all these, like, skittering, like, hi-hat symbols and, like, really complicated. You know, it's really producer-driven age. This is super simple, just, like, you know, really simple beat. Very sweet, as you said. It can remind you yeah. of doo-wop. It reminds you yeah. of girl group music, but it's completely modern sounding, and the tracks are, are are complicated but easy, kind of flowing. And it's you're right. It's 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 nice to hear kind of just easygoing. Uh, late summer music. I used to have a name and look like butterflies and Hennessy. I'll trade it in for happiness, but joyful don't remember me. Sitting on my front lawn, waiting for him to call me. He said he knew So a couple of the songs, why don't we mention the ones that you've been digging? Sunny Duet is one I really like, which is the one where I think really reminds me the most of like early like sort of diggable planets. And then this Diddy Bop is very similar. The record is really of a piece. It's not like there are these big songs that jump out. It's a 30-minute, it flows 
beautifully. I mean, the production and some of the guests, it all kind of comes together. Run, run, mama say come home before the street lights do. Ice cream on my front porch and my new food, and my A1s too. Watching my happy block, my whole neighborhood hit the diddy There's another record I just want to quick mention that's from, from, from the same scene that I, I, don't know if we, I don't know if we had a chance to talk about, which was came out in early July, this Jamila Woods record, mm. um, which is also, she's also on um, on the Chancer, on Coloring Book, and uh it's 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 and similar. definitely of a piece too. I yeah, mean, there's yeah. the same scene, like you know, same and then like the song on that record I'd want to point people to is this song called LSD, which is really embodies what this music kind of is. It's obviously you think LSD, but actually it stands for Lakeshore Drive. And it's like if you gotta love me, you gotta love the lake. You know? Not to be confused with the band with a similar name, Lake Street Dive, who <laughs> are right. kind of more jazzy and NPR friendly. Well, this is you know this is not, not this is not not NPR friendly as well. So it's very it is kind of like recall '70s R&B. This song particularly sounds has the, the synths are a little bit the keyboards a little bit kind of remind you of like Stevie Wonder's Secret yeah, Life let, of Plants or something. Let's not sell short the N NPR listeners. No, you they know, might hey, dig this too. Look, yeah, there's a little overlap here, so let's not be. <laughs> <laughs> they're good. They're great people. I know some of my best friends are NPR listeners. Listeners. I mean, the way that the Jamila Woods song LSD is, is really an, kind of becomes kind of a, an anthem kind of for like, you know, you have to embrace, if you want to embrace me, you have to embrace the city. If you want to embrace the city, you have to embrace me. Uh, she represents the city in a certain sense. The no-name record kind of gets inside the commonplace everyday life uh, uh, of living in the city. Um, and they work well together and you should play them right in a row because they're both great. And they're also good kind of summer hip hop records. And, can, you know, summer's coming out. We only have so much more time for summer right. rap, so we should really get it while get, you can. Get it while you can. Get the get summer hip hop yeah, records. Get it while you're hot. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. All right, John Dolan. Thanks for coming on. You bet. And that was, of course, In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins, one of the songs which has been associated with urban legends and conspiracy theories, which we're going to dispel in this episode. Uh, this is a special public service episode of Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm here with Andy Green. Hi hey, there. Andy. We're going to talk about some of rock and pop and hip-hop's greatest urban legends yep. and also how they get formed, what's changed in the Internet age, and we're also, of course, going to go through a bunch of them and, and help dispel them. Some of them have been dispelled before, but I feel like it's an important thing to do every once in a while. Andy, let's start with In the Air Tonight. So tell me about that one. So what did people think? The urban legend goes that Phil Collins, back in the early 80s, was taking a walk or something by a lake, saw a man drowning, but couldn't reach him, but saw a second man near the man that could have saved him, but chose not to. And he allowed the guy to drown. And then Phil sent the guy that lived a ticket to his concert in the first row. Then he sang in the air tonight, and he sang it right to him. And wow. with those lines, if you told me you were drowning, I would not lend a hand. I've seen your face before, my friend. You know? Right. And, and like so, you could just see it in your head, like you know, this, yeah. this huge concert confrontation oh, where yeah. Phil's like singing to someone in the front row. Like I, I guess this conspiracy has the benefit of like 
the song itself reinforces it every time you hear yeah, it. It's like a, the, the song actually describes <laughs> the events yeah. that happened. Well, it's a very <laughs> ominous song. He's like, I remember, I remember, right. don't worry. How could I ever forget? Right. It was the first time, the last so time we like, ever met. Right. Yeah. So, so it's like Phil Collins, it's like the, the song is like this gotcha. Right. He like, yeah. yes. And when in was, fact, of course, let's just say for the record, the song is about his uh, the, his, his ex-wife. It's a broken, yes. it's about a broken right. relationship. He was going through right. a really, really bad divorce. He was in his basement with his drum machine, and this stream of conscious lyrics just came out that tells him the story. It's just raw anger and just random words that came out of his head about drowning and whatnot. And yeah, and he has been asked about this, I think, recently in This American Life. He right. said, I, I don't even know what some of the lyrics are about. Right. They're but, obviously coming from like a painful place. And then it was kind of dying in the early 2000s, and then Stan came out by Eminem, where he repeats the whole thing in the song. Do you know the song by Phil Collins in the air of the night about the guy that was drowning, that he didn't save the guy? Right. I mean, then it was monster hit. It was back Irresponsible. Again. Yes. Eminem. Yeah, yeah, but Phil did not witness a man drowning. No, right. but, it, but he did it in the voice of Stan, who was a crazed person anyway. So I think that was sort of the right. point. Stan's that, so crazy that he believes that they're right. legend, yes. Well, let's back up for a minute. Let, let's start with one of the first, one of the, you know, the mother yeah. of all kind of rock urban legends, which is, uh, of course, the, the Paul is dead. Right. That's the mother. That's the this crazy huge one. I think this was back in a time when people would stare at covers of Beatles records forever, would play them over and over again. Because that's one of the main ways you could get information right. about the Beatles. Well, let, let's say, what. Yeah. tell me exactly what, what the... Uh, well, the story the varies a bit. I think the legend is sometime in 1966 or 1967, Paul McCartney died in a car crash. Thus, the lyric of A Day in the Life, he blew his mind out in a car. He noticed that the, that the light had changed. And now there's a dead beetle, so they panic. Don't people know that's a Lennon verse? <laughs> right, or maybe he was well, like, no, he was talking about. Yeah, he was talking Paul, about. Of course, Paul. that would normally yes. make sense. Yeah. Right. And so the Beatles were this huge band, and they couldn't have a dead Paul, so they found somebody new that looked just like him, was possibly named Billy Shears. He was the same guy who actually went on tour with Beatlemania in yes, the, 70s, the 70s, where people yes. were acting and later starred <laughs> yes. in a Broadway uh, this was his uh, early work. musical. Sorry. But so it's a super secret. There's a new Paul, and Paul is dead, but they start to put clues in their lyrics, in their artwork. And that's, you know, it's like most conspiracies. If you believe something, then you see evidence of it everywhere. Right. So, so many lyrics on Sgt. Pepper and all over the White Album. What were a couple of the, yeah, the places that people... Well, they really obsessed over the Abbey Road cover. Because they said, oh, look, this is Paul's barefoot. This is, of course, the famous cover where they're they're walking walking, across the street. That he's the corpse, you're buried in bare feet, and George is the grave digger in Denham, and John's the priest or whatever, and Ringo's the mourner, right. I forget exactly. And then the Sergeant Pepper cover, you know, they think, oh, look, this is it, this is his funeral. This is everybody at his funeral, and the flowers, like the flowers at the funeral. Right. And it was extremely widespread to the point that 1971, when John was furious at Paul and recorded Where Do You Sleep with George on guitar, he's saying those freaks were right when they said you were dead. Right. You know. The Beatles themselves, did they enjoy this on some level, yeah, though? Yeah, I think eventually they basically started to just troll the fans. I mean, right. when the license plate on the cover of Abbey Road says 28 if, that'd be 28 if. If he had lived. <laughs> right. You know, um, I think that by that point, by the end of the Beatles, they decided to embrace it and just have some fun with it. 
Right. And then just basically with time, it, it right. faded. But right. again, this is so pre-internet that these are just rumors spread through playgrounds and whatnot. It, right. It's hard to refute them without right. the internet, <laughs> let's, which let's, also spreads it. But yeah. Let's talk about one of the most, <laughs> most evocative rumors, too. Yeah. This is another big one that I, I think was just accepted as fact in when I was a kid in the <laughs> 70s and 80s uh, yeah. about Rod Stewart. Yeah, there's an urban legend that Rod Stewart at some point in the 70s got rushed to a hospital and his stomach was pumped. With and semen. With semen. Was, yeah. And they remove like a gallon of semen or something crazy. Right. And it's a pretty nasty rumor. He laughed about it. He goes like, what happened? Did I blow an entire fleet of sailors or something? You know, but it turns, this is so widespread that I heard this as a kid. Though, though the first version that I heard was it happened to a cheerleader at some rival school. So right. it just this, sort of morphed over the years. Yes, I mean, this is, this, we could take one step back, actually, and say, like, this actually fits into kind of one of the categories of, like, kind of rock urban legends or just urban legends in general. Like, you definitely see that the uh, stomach pump myth is definitely, <laughs> yeah. like, taking its form. I, I think there was a hip-hop version of it for Lil' Kim, believe it or not. Yeah, and uh, for Elton John. For Elton John. John this is, right. This has been a, a definitely a, a yeah. urban legend which has mutated over the years. Another one is like you know, a version of the Richard Gere, you know, the gerbil, being yeah. rushed to the gerbil in your pants yeah. myth. But the great thing about the Rod Stewart one is that he actually did finally put it to bed in his book a couple years ago, which is super entertaining. Yeah. And he, he gave the actual story. Right. It was his publicist that he fired, and his publicist was so bitter he had a very flamboyant publicist right. who was bitter. Yeah, so, and he just leaked it to some press outlet that just ran it. Actually just made up the, a great story. Yeah he, yeah, he was thinking to himself, now what's the nastiest rumor I can make up about Rod Stewart? Right. And boom, and it just spread for years and years and years. And But to Rod's credit, when it comes up in the press, which does a lot, he just laughs. He thinks it's so ridiculously funny. Right. You know. There are a couple Manson-related rumors, mm-hmm. both for Charles Manson and Marilyn Manson. Yeah. All right, do you want to tell me the Charles Manson rumor? Yeah, there's a widespread rumor in the 60s and 70s that a Charles Manson, that he tried out to be one of the four monkeys and was turned down. Now, that disregards the fact that the monkeys formed in 1965, and he was in prison until 1967. Well, I could see how that caught on because pre-internet, at least, because it's weird but not totally improbable. It's not not totally crazy. He was a struggling musician. Right. And he did want to be famous, and he was a California figure. I think one reason it's persisted for so long is because the thought was God. If he only made the monkeys, then that wouldn't have happened. It's sort of like Hitler and his art school, that if only Hitler, if he was taken into the art school, there would be no Holocaust. Right. If only Charles Manson had been a monkey, there would be no mass murderers of all those innocent people. And it's just funny, too. It's just, well, the idea of him in the, the monkeys, monkeys is yes, just funny. They were you know, so the carefree. Cra- crazy eyes are right next to yeah. Mickey Dolan's. Yeah, there would be a right. monkey that has a swastika on his forehead. <laughs> <laughs> it would have made head even weirder. Yeah. Okay, then there's a good Marilyn Manson. Oh, there's a lot of Marilyn Manson ones. I was in like eighth, ninth grade at the peak of the Manson mania, and almost every day I would hear a different one. You'd hear that he had a rib surgically removed so he could blow himself. You heard he would kill puppies on stage, or he wouldn't finish a concert till the audience killed a puppy. You heard that he was both the oldest son on Mr. Belvedere, which I heard a lot, but the most persistent one across the country was he was Paul from the Wonder Years. Because <laughs> they did look alike a little bit. You could sort of see a adult Paul with Marilyn Manson. This is kind of a subset of the Mike D was related to Dustin Diamond from Saved by the Bell. Right. 
because that makes sense and they're diamond they they look alike look alike they're same age roughly right so that made sense but with manson i think you know he was so over the top and so wanted to spread misinformation about it. You know, he, he's some kid from Ohio named Brian. Right. You know, that, that there's not much mystery there. Yeah. But if all of a sudden he's a satanic thing or he's killing puppies or right. he's secretly a child actor, then the story is a lot more interesting. So he had no interest in sort of squashing these. He'd almost spread them. Yeah, I mean, those those puppy rumors and the rib rumor, you can yeah. see, I mean, his entire career was devoted to, like, Perpetrating rumors like that, I'm sure. Like those, yeah. are, but I can see. Well, maybe the Wonder Years one wasn't part of his like, no, it campaign. Was, yeah. It was just so funny because he was yeah. such a dork on the Wonder Years. You know, to imagine that the dorkiest kid in the world becomes like a Satan worshiper, right. was just irresistible. And again, this was when the internet was just starting, where there's like AOL message boards. Right. And, you know, if you're in eighth grade and you're reading your AOL message boards, this is the kind of stuff you read all the time. It just seemed real because he was a scary figure if you know much. His image was so carefully crafted that it seemed like he was actually like the devil or something. Well, the the site Snopes.com Snope. hadn't maybe was it in yeah. its infancy or hadn't been invented yeah, yet. It's that, that been very helpful. helped to put down a lot of these rumors. Yes. Um, Maybe we'll take a step back and talk about what the internet has done to kind of urban legends like this because it's definitely helped put down some of the the rumors that you can fact check, but it's kind of amplified some of the rumors that cannot be disproved. It's Uh, given a forum to conspiracy mongers like Alex Jones. The epitome of this, I'm sorry to cut you off, but the epitome of this would be the Jay-Z Illuminati rumor, which is kind of like probably the biggest, not biggest urban legend kind of of today, right? Right. There's a huge percent of the country that believes in these conspiracy theories and they can all get together on the internet, share their evidence. They can point to photos. You say, hey, do you see this thing here? This is the triangle that shows that he is a member of that group. Right. You know, and so the internet can really spread these things further if you go on the crazy websites or there are email chains and forwards of all this stuff. Can you talk about the Jay-Z Illuminati rumor? What is that? That's uh, Jay-Z, Beyonce now, probably Blue Ivy, possibly Madonna, who did a yeah. song about it. Uh, yeah. Almost every major star so, at some point is yeah. a member of the Illuminati. Yeah. there's a wide, Which is a secret society. Right. Yeah. yeah, there's a widespread theory that these famous people aren't famous because of their accomplishments. They were selected by the secret organization that they're a part of. And so almost everybody that's super famous, they say, oh, they're a secret member of it, you know, and they think Howard Stern's a part of it or Obama and Oprah and they have secret meetings. It's sort of a way to imagine that the world is just controlled by some shadowy thing that they're all the puppets of. Right. And it's a classic way to kind of explain somebody who you think maybe shouldn't be famous right. is famous. Or, yeah. Right. And I think it's often people in their life that don't have a lot going on. They can sit back and think, oh, well, my life sucks because I wasn't selected. You know, these rich people they were touched down by the heavens, you know, then they're part of this crazy group. One one pretty uh, big conspiracy theorist these days we were talking about earlier is Professor Griff well, from Public Enemy. He's the OG conspiracy theorist. He destroyed Public Enemy almost by telling the Washington Times that Jews are responsible for a majority of the wickedness in the world. Yeah, he was citing Holocaust that. age propaganda <laughs> about right. the Jews and it was, a you know, horrible and, it, and he was fired from the group. But nowadays he's on Alex Jones a lot. He's redirected his conspiracy theory He's, energies towards actual the people like Jay-Z. Yeah, and, uh, no. Yeah. If you hear his interviews, he believes in basically every conspiracy ever. Right. You know, 
which is pretty awesome because so many of these, they contradict each other. Like you can't believe in all these things at once. Right. But, you know, in the age of the Internet, I mean, like the, the you know, and Obama is always at the center of these things too. You know? Right. Let's uh, cover a couple other uh, classic rock ones. Uh, okay. You are saying that Jimi Hendrix did not actually put LSD in his headband. No. Jimi Hendrix, he did many hardcore psychedelic drugs. You know, he was a huge drug user, but the story that he put LSD in his bandana on stage, and so as he sweat, it would dissolve into his skin, and he would have greater acid trips during the show. This was it, another one that was just accepted as fact. Right, when I was a yeah. Kid. This yeah. is real 80s-era playground stuff right. about Hendrix, and he certainly did LSD, but not in that crazy right. sweat band probably, way. There are more efficient ways to do LSD than yes. to put it in your headband. Yes, that didn't happen. It just doesn't make sense. No. All right, well, this is one that's partially based in some fact. Maybe the Keith Richards getting a blood transfusion. You're not going to well, tell me this isn't true. He, but the story goes that in the early 70s, or an exile on Main Street, Keith Richards went to some secret Swiss clinic where all his blood got swapped out. It was like an old change on a car where they took all of it out and replaced it with other blood slowly. So to what, cure him of his drug addiction. Right. And it's not even remotely true. So what, what is, what, did this have any basis in fact? Did he cover this in his book? He's discussed it as like that didn't happen at all. It's just 100% false. Do we know where it came from? Or? I think that's sort of hard to trace it. It just sort of, it was so outlandish, but for him, it sort of made sense. I'm not sure of the origin of it. Why don't we wrap up with kind of an update of a classic legend. The, the Supposedly, the, the Paul is dead is another kind of meme. This is one that's kind of like like took on a new life maybe 10 or 15 years ago with Avril Lavigne yeah. of all people. There was a consensus among a lot of young fans on the internet that she'd hung herself around 2003, was replaced by a doppelganger, <laughs> which explains her move away from songs like Skater Boy and to sort of different kind of fare. Was this pre- Girlfriend? Oh, yeah, way really girlfriend. This is like 2003, 4 era. And they would put side-by-side pictures and see how her nose looks different, her teeth look different. This is an imposter. This explains why the music changed. And my favorite details, they were pointing to the fact that her clothing had changed, that her had her style changed a lot. She was not (laughs) wearing kilts. Yeah. Uh, anymore. Right, right. Or those yeah. like knit caps or anything. Right. And this is just message board crap. But for some reason, it got lots of currency. There's a real belief that Avril's changed so much that we miscomplicated Avril so much that it's like that Avril has died. And the story goes that her parents got divorced and she went back to their house and it was empty of all their old furniture and she hung herself. But <sighs> we can't have no Avril, so they found a new Avril. But young fans on the internet saw through it. And yeah, and this is one ultimately. That, did she end up addressing this in any interviews, or, or at the time, did this actually have to be actively batted down, or was this just? This I is think another it was one just, that just kind of faded. It away. just sort of faded away, and then people realized that oh, she's not dead; she's just older. <laughs> There's one other like urban legend of the hermaphrodite. Like a, a rock star is a hermaphrodite, has like you know male and female parts. Yes. and this is something that, like members of speaking of Eminem. Like I don't, I remember members of D12 were rumored to be hermaphrodites. Really I think bizarre from D12. <laughs> of course, Jamie Lee Curtis was the the, the oh, old God, school yeah, one. Of course. And, and uh, so there's something about certain things about either somebody being dead, yeah, either having to have their stomach pumped, either being a hermaphrodite. There's yeah. a certain like playground theme to a lot of these. Yeah, it's kind of thing that if you hear it in the eighth grade, you're like, holy shit, you know, right. it just really 
shocks you when you don't really know a lot about the world, but you're right. sort of starting to get informed. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, Andy, thanks a lot for your, your research into this topic. I know you've been working on this episode for at least six months. So. Uh, years and years and years. And now there will be no more rumors ever. We, we've debunked <laughs> everything. It's the end of the urban legend now because of us. A new age of truth. Yes, exactly. In rock. Yeah, always. <laughs> Onward and upward. And that's it for today's episode of Rolling Stone Music Now. If you like what you heard, please leave a review on the iTunes store or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord, we get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.